the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. You know, Rachel, you know what I always love about journalism? What do you love? I love it when, uh, you know, when we talk to journalists and they wear their company logo on their shirt. When, uh, you know, when they when they guess here, I, I just I love it. It's the brand awareness. It's important, you know, and that's exactly what Scott Wheeler from The Athletic is doing today. Scott, how are you in your athletic sweater? Just I'm, coming in hot. I'm doing well. I guess I should get some New York Times merch at this point. eh? Why haven't they? <laughs> Why haven't they sent any of that my way? I just think that the clearly the athletic empire is crumbling here. You haven't gotten your merch up right away. Like mm-hmm. that that merger happened, you know, however many months ago. Yeah. I did just get a, na- oh, a nice I did just get a nice little knapsack in the mail from them with the logo on it. They 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 take care of us. I I swear to god half my wardrobe is uh sweaters and t-shirts from over the years, so it's, that's honestly i feel that like working in sports you just get handed like all manner of stuff and like i still have a bunch of my new jersey stuff i have all of when i left the canucks i kept all the skate stuff because it's nice the yeah. rest of it i was like no yeah we're done here <laughs> but I've got, a, like- I've got an ohl t-shirt that they sent me when they started doing merch and i've worn it to a couple of beer league games before and you'll get the like oh did you play in the league and it's like uh no <laughs> I mean, they don't have to know that. <laughs> Just go for it. Yeah, make them believe they they you know make them believe what you want them to believe. That's perfect. Um, but here we are. It's the best time of the year, I think, for you. This is it, your this is your Super Bowl, it. man. Yeah, this is it. This and the draft are my my go time. Certainly, I would say December December January because I do my thirty two prospect pool rankings in January, and that's right. probably the craziest workload of the year is January. But really, May, May, June, and December, January are my. Uh, you're right. My my Super Bowls, my Stanley Cups, whatever. Absolutely. Well, here we are. It's the World Juniors, man. Uh, obviously, yesterday the the big news was Matthew Poitras, uh, you know, being being added to the team. You know that or to Team Canada at least. That was somewhat of a surprising move, or at least it would have been a surprising move, maybe a month or two ago. Yeah. Now it seems like the right decision. Uh, Seemed like let's just tee up this year. Let's get into it. Um, let's talk about basically what to expect from this year's World Juniors. Yeah, I mean it, it's in a bit of an unconventional year, even with the addition of Quatra. This team Canada just doesn't really have the look and feel to it of some of the team Canadas that we've seen in recent years. Um, they don't have this outside of Macklin Celebrini and, and probably arguably Matt Savoy as well at the very top of the lineup at forward. There isn't a lot of sort of star power, if you will. They they want to win this tournament by playing four lines deep and three deep pairings deep and potentially running all their goalies. And that's never a good sign. When you start talking that's about That's not depth, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. When you start talking about depth, it normally means that you're compensating for, for something else. And that's how this Team Canada feels. I think on defense, they're really well positioned. Um, Tristan Luno is going to play when it matters, probably 30 minutes a night. And he's awesome. Like he, he looked a clear cut above everybody else in Oakville last week at their selection camp. Denton Matejchuk has a season long point streak going in the WHL entering this tournament. 
Um, so they've got some horses on the back end. Celebrini's going to be good. Matt Savoy is going to be good. Jordan Dume is going to be good on the power play and make things happen offensively. But they're going to need basically all of their top players to be stars just because you look across the ice at what the Swedes are bringing, especially on their back end. The Swedes have seven like legitimate A, A-minus prospects coming on D. Uh, Jacob Norin maybe being the lone exception, and even Norin is a returnee for them. So um, they're, they're stacked on defense. They've got a really strong sort of deep forward group. They've got an excellent, excellent, excellent goalie in Hugo Havilid, who's been a stud oh, yeah. internationally in this age group. Uh, and then the Americans have two of the best young goalies in college hockey, right? Uh, mm. And that's going to be a huge battle. I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. Uh, Trey Augustine has played at the World Juniors and at two uh, U18 Worlds. He actually started for for this coaching staff at U18 Worlds, well, members of this coaching staff at U18 Worlds uh, as an underager, as a, as a 16-year-old. So they've got that. They've got Jacob Fowler, who's been absolutely lights out at Boston this year uh, and really has actually probably debatably outplayed Trey Augustine. Uh, And then that forward, this is as talented a group as even without Logan Cooley, who's obviously sticking in Arizona, this is as talented an American group as they've had in, in years, really. Uh, They had that excellent team a few years ago where uh, they had guys like Trevor Zegras and Arthur Kaliev playing on the third and fourth line and Nick Robertson and Shane Pinto playing a little higher up the lineup. And that team was really deep at forward. Bobby Brink was on that team. Um, But this, this group is, is uh, for the Americans in particular is really strong. So they're my they're my sort of tentative favorites. But I think any of those big three, uh, it's a big step back for the Finns this year. Um, they're they're missing Aaron Kiviharju uh, and Jesse yeah. Nerman's injuries. Uh, they're missing Toppy Rani, who's uh, under a criminal investigation for rape uh, in Finland at the moment. So that's that's a returnee in Rani and two other key pieces in Nermi and Kiviharju due to injuries. So the Finns already with a little bit of a watered down uh age group as is are are going to be even thinner than they were hoping to be uh, they also didn't get Joachim Kemmel back from from Nashville so uh the Finns are going to be in tough I think but the other three of the traditional superpowers uh should all be really competitive and the, the Canada Sweden game is probably going to be the best game of round robin okay so let's let's talk about you <clears throat> you mentioned kind of guys that are missing and so Canada gets Matty Potra back mm-hmm. but we obviously know they're not getting the guy back in Connor Bedard because he, the over under on points per game for him would probably be like four and a half. Um, I think that he might win the tournament himself, but there's another guy I think we should kind of talk about, and that's Adam Fantilli. Yeah. He's playing fourth line left wing. Columbus is doing, I don't even know what with their young players. As a guy who watches junior hockey and scouts and world juniors, um, you see Boston send Matthew Potra back, and he's playing way higher up the lineup and way more consistently. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's merit to sending Adam Fantilli to the world juniors? Would that be best for his development, given kind of what's happened this year in Columbus? Yeah, it's that's a tough one. We, we knew they weren't going to get Shane right. We knew pretty early on once Kevin Kurchinski started playing 20 minutes a night that even Kevin Kurchinski, who I think that coming into the season, they were hopeful that they would have back as their lone returnee on the blue line. We knew that that was probably unlikely. Zach Benson, once he scored in back-to-back games this week, I think that was ruled out. Yeah. And they'd already talked even prior to that. 
about how it was sort of unlikely that they'd lend him just because of how consistent he's been for them. Fantilli's an interesting one. I, I do think he's beyond this level. I know we didn't get to see him at his best in this tournament, and he played, obviously started high in Canada's lineup in Halifax last year and then finished. I actually thought he played really, really well in sort of a depth role throughout that tournament once they moved him down to the third, fourth line there. Um but then he's played at men's worlds and he's kind of, he's checked some other boxes along the way. He's been good. I think um, I've, I've really liked the way that Adam has played for that team. Uh, they have, they have been bouncing him oddly. I, I, I would agree <laughs> uh, yeah. sort of around that lineup. He's playing with Johnny one night and then he's playing on the fourth line the next night. And obviously we saw what happened with Kent Johnson and them sending Kent to the AHL. And I've spoken with people in that organization about it and tried to just sort of wrap my head around it. And I know in Kent's case, they just felt that he hadn't, uh, not that he hadn't played well in camp, but that maybe his attitude, he he sort of showed up at camp expecting to kind of be the guy there and, and to, to take a big step. And they just wanted to not set, I don't think set, they wanted to send a message, but they, they wanted him to sort of work for it a little, I think. And he went down to the HL and obviously did that in Adam's case, that, <laughs> yeah. in Adam's case, I mean, going, him going to the world juniors and playing for Canada, I think would be great for him. He'd get to light it up. He'd be, if not the best player in the tournament, then certainly one of the two or three best players in the tournament. Uh, I think Cutter Gauthier and Lane Hudson and a few others are going to do some damage as well this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, selfishly, I would have loved for him to be there. I'm not sure there's a ton to gain from it. I think they just need to play him more in Columbus. At this point, right. that roster is what it is. You know that you're a fringe, if you're lucky, sort of 9, 10, 11 seed in, in the East. Uh, there's a chance you're another top 10 pick team and sort of a lottery team as well. And eventually you got to turn that, that entire team over to the youth to, and not just to Fantilli. They need to get obviously Kent more involved. Marchenko, I think they've actually done a really good job with. He's been the big one PP one and played high in that lineup. Um, it's going to be interesting. Your checks there, obviously uh, they, they've got, they've got a lot of youth coming. Um, obviously Dume's coming. Luca Del Belbelouz has played well in Cleveland this year. So there's, there's some guys there and they're going to have to figure it out. Sort of like LA did, right? LA had that loaded pool. Yeah. But it took them a while to get Kaliev figured out and to find time for Samuel Fagamo and, sort of make it work for everybody. Obviously, Turcotte is injured again. I just heard from their PR department. My mentee, you got, are you serious? Yeah, my mentee with the PHWA is doing a story on on bubble players, um, uh, sort of bubble AHL guys and what it's like be, being a top prospect who's stuck in the AHL and sort of waiting for that call. And she was going to interview Alex for it. And he we found out that he's been injured yet again. So, uh, but they're... they're, they're Columbus is going to be in that situation. Chicago is going to be in that situation pretty soon with the number of first and second round picks that they've made in the last couple of years and the numbers that they still have. I think they have two first round picks in each of the next three drafts. So uh, Chicago, it, it's, it can almost work against you eventually because those guys, when they don't make the jump at 21, 22 to the NHL, or they can't sort of solidify themselves in the lineup, suddenly they pretty quickly start to lose their value, right? So uh, we even saw it, it a little bit with Rasmus yeah. Sandin. Yeah. Um, so and until sort of a jump here, like Nick Robertson too, like yeah. I know he wasn't a, a top, you know, like well, first even round Quinn pick or anything. Byfield, like Byfield yeah. is only this year, right? That he's taken, I mean, he's taken a major step forward, but I mean, Scott, you and I have had conversations kind of behind the scenes about, about Q and just cause he's mm -hmm. a local guy from where we're from. And 
like we kind of had some concerns about one his usage but two like was he going to be able to take that step and I think both him and Lafreniere have taken major steps this year and so I yeah. think it's a really salient point like you've got the Americans have um my boy from last year's draft and Frank Nazer and mm-hmm. uh Lane Hudson as well Seamus Casey like those are those are my draft sons um and I look at it and it's if if you have too much young talent it's almost like there isn't enough opportunity to go around and they'll they'll all get frustrated potentially I feel like that's maybe what's happened with Alex Turcott on top of the injuries yeah and you kind of have to wonder now like it's been five or six years like at what point you're in Columbus's position you've got so much young talent at what point do you say like Boone Jenner move over and I don't like who else you have playing in your lineup Sean Corrali like sorry but those lineup spots don't belong to you anymore. They go to guys like Luca Del Belbelouz and um, on the back end, like acquiring Ivan Provorov when you've got guys like Nick Blankenberg and Denton Matechuk and David Juracek. It's like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, they, they, they're going to have to figure that out pretty quickly here. Um, it, because suddenly those guys start to not look the same and they start to not feel it and they don't get enough puck touches and they're not involved in the sort of spots in the like Kent Johnson has to be on PP one, right? Like yeah. that just has and whether he, whether or not he's earned it, eventually you got to just give him some runway to figure his game out and to find his groove in the NHL. And I think with a player of Kent's talent, they almost always do. Like it would be pretty shocking to see Kent fail if he's put in a position for long enough to succeed. Whereas it's quite possible for Kent to fail if he doesn't get those looks at some point. Right. So uh, yeah, they, I've, 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 again, I've spoken with people in that organization about it and I've, I've kind of said, I think you guys are playing with fire on with some of this and they've explained it, that the it, part of it is a new coach trying to set a, set a culture and, and sort of establish some standards. And uh, I, I get that they, they, were coming out of Babcock and they wanted to sort of set the right messages. And sometimes that means you play the fourth line 28 year old over the, over the kid just for a couple of games kind of thing. Like, I don't think that is a crazy idea. It's just, if you, if you're, if you're sticking with that all year long, when you realize that your team's out of it, then you pretty quickly are doing a disservice to the guys who are actually going to be a part of the fold long term. Yeah. That lengthy Babcock year that lasted, you know, a decade and really ingrained those really ingrained some lessons and bad habits into people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think part of the reason they they waited on DJ right in Ottawa was mm. was sort of the similar idea of okay, there'd been a lot of turmoil. He's a culture guy; everybody likes him. He's nice to the media, and he's a friendly face. And uh, I think that that played a factor in why Pascal Vincent Vincent was was hired. And I think it plays played a factor with DJ too, right? I love the French pronunciation there, Fra- Pascal Vincent. Yeah, it's that uh, French immersion. Twelve years of it, and, oh, and and then four years in Ottawa. I've, I'm I'm I consider myself you, man. You're bilingual here. Exactly. And the thing with Columbus too is a lot. And, and a lot of teams they have to maybe anticipate that one of their top young players, perhaps a, a Cole Sillinger of such, um, dates like an international pop star, and then uh, they have a messy breakup, and she, out of spite, becomes like the the biggest celebrity involved in the NA- with the NHL. And then every time he goes to a visiting place, they play uh, her music over the PA during every game. Yeah, that's not never ideal. Never yeah. ideal. I think teams need to start planning against against that, you know, just to make sure that none of their because that can really hamper development right there, I think. Okay, so let's get back to the World Juniors, which is like the I mean, big okay, fine. thing. Okay, Scott, <laughs> last week you and I 
talking about development camp, or it might have been a couple weeks ago, we talked about kind of the bottom end of the lineup and how you and I kind of wanted to see a line Easton Cowan, Denver Barkey, and Paul Edwinski, mm-hmm. because the established chemistry between Cowan and Barkey is very obvious. Um, and then Ludwinski is kind of that like Swiss army life. He can play up the lineup. He can play down the lineup. He, and those three players are never going to cheat you for effort. Mm-hmm. And I get that. They didn't end up taking two of those players. But I think more importantly, something that I wanted to ask you about is, does Canada's philosophy of having like a four line sort of NHL built team get in the way of them selecting the best players? Because I can't help but notice that like, four of the top five WHL scorers are eligible for this team and got left at home. And it's like, if this team has issues scoring, is it because we decided we were taking penalty killers? Yeah, I I think it's, I think it's done them some damage in the past. There have been years where I've been really, really critical of the way that hockey Canada has constructed its teams. Um, Some of it is the involvement of the people who are involved. Like we, we knew when, Dale Hunter and Mark Hunter finally got their year in charge that it was going to look a certain type of way, right? Like every coach has their imprint. Uh, this year's group, uh, I thought that Barkey had warranted a look based off of the way that he's played in London, his value on the penalty kill, the energy he brings, his camp. He had a great selection camp. They were speaking very highly of him. He had a golden assist in the first U Sports game. I think he needed to have two really good U Sports games to make that team. It's, it's hard as an 18-year-old. And then I think the thing that worked even more than that, that worked against a guy like Barkey in particular was just how small this Canadian group is up front. Um, they obviously brought Owen Allard for, for one reason, right? He's a <laughs> six foot two, 200 plus pound kid. He's the only forward on the team who's over 200 pounds and he, he's a great skater and uh, he's a, an unconventional choice for sure. I know even there were people in, in the Sioux with his club team that were a little surprised that he got invited to camp. He kind of joked with us that he didn't even think Hockey Canada was watching him. Like he he didn't even know until he got the call inviting him to selection camp that this was even an option for him. And now he's on the team, right? Um, so yeah, there, there were there were less like surprises. Andrew Crystal from, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. With, with Crystal and with Height in particular, the, both of those guys didn't play well at U18 Worlds last spring. And I know whether rightly or wrongly, Hockey Canada – they care about that, the way that guys perform for them internationally. It carries over for them. So Kristal, I mean, he he started at the top of Canada's lineup uh, in, in Switzerland and finished on the fourth line and just didn't didn't play well at U18 Worlds. He's an 18-year-old height, same thing. He got called over late as a late addition when Prince George got eliminated from the WHL playoffs, and they were really excited about him. He was going to step in and be a top six center for them at U18 Worlds, and then he just didn't look the part. Obviously, he's two points per game in the WHL right now, so it's... It, it's one of those things where even if he wasn't maybe in the picture for you, he, he probably warranted a, an invite. Um, I, I felt the same way about Hunter Brustevich and the American team. Even if they felt like he wasn't going to be a part of their six in the end, if this mm-hmm. is a merit-based thing, he probably at least deserved a look. Uh, he couldn't have played any better. This is Brustevich I'm talking about, but he couldn't have played any better in the OHL to start the year. Like he couldn't have done anything more to get an invite. Right. So uh, I do think it can send a, a poor message when you at least don't give those guys an invite. But in both cases, I think both teams wanted really small camps this year. Canada brought a lot fewer players to their camp than they usually do. I think part of that is cost-related. 
Hockey Canada is tight on money these days. Uh, Why? Uh, Why is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get into. I'm sure we'll get into that once they uh, hopefully make somebody available post tournament like they usually do to get an update on the investigation and all that because it's overdue. But um, yeah, I mean, height and height in height and Crystal's case, they can both play next year too, right? Like I, I think we all expect that they're going to be big, big parts of next year's team. I think they just felt uh, with their sort of around the edges, they wanted a little bit more size. That's why Carson Raycop's on the team. That's why Owen Allard's on the team. That's why Matthew Woods on the team. They've got a lot of small forwards. Matt Savoy's small. Jordan Dumais small. If they brought Denver Barkey, Denver Barkey would have been the smallest of the bunch. He's like 150 pounds, and you see him at the rink, and you're like, oh my god, you're you're going to have to get bigger. You're going to have to get bigger. But no, yeah, maybe I, I, th- I think I would have liked to see Barky make the team over a player like Allard, even with knowing that they would have been a little bit smaller had they gone that route. But like, I mean, they've done it in the past. Zach Stapchuk played a big role for Canada at two world juniors as just a big guy who could skate, who played 12 minutes a night. So I don't think bringing Allard over Pite or Cristal or whoever else is going to be a backbreaker for this team. The, I ultimately think Canada is just going to go as far as their goaltending will take them in this tournament. And in that, on that front, at least they've got the three best goalies. I think they picked the three best goalies, which is still uh, a huge, huge question mark. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, I find that, I don't know, like this year, there's just last year. I mean, obviously there was the generational, there were a lot of, there were a lot of huge talents on Canada, you know, like obviously there was the Connor Bedard, there was the Adam Fantilli. Yeah. Uh, you can go down that list, even like Brant Clark, you know, just guys who are, and I wouldn't call Brant Clark a generational talent, but I mean, like just like, there's a lot of hype around these guys. I, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of, there's not as much mm-hmm. this year. Like it, it just, there's it Mac, seems like. It. Yeah, it, it, and and even then, like it seems like there's not a ton of like maybe name recognition yeah. of these guys, because last year you could have you know the average guy could name, you know like Canada's entire top six. I was there at the World Juniors alongside you, and yeah. you know I was in. I I, I kind of felt like the you know what's a what's a polar bear doing in uh, uh what's it called like Arkansas meme or whatever where it's just like what am I doing here? But like at the same time, I I knew these guys because they're connected to teams. There's a lot of unknown here. Is there someone on Canada, I guess that like could maybe sort of make a name for themselves uh, uh, here or that you think could be sort of a sleeper. It shouldn't be a sleeper at this point because of what he's done in the queue. But Jordan Dumay, I think Mm -hmm. has an opportunity here to be a stud and to silence some people. And there are still doubters Surrounding oh Jordan Dumay, even after 140 points in the queue last year, there are still scouts who think... Is it just size? Size, he's not the greatest skater, he doesn't work hard. I think that he doesn't work hard stuff is bunk, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've spoken to the guys in Halifax about that. Really, Sylvain Favreau and that staff for three years now. He's led that team three years in a row in takeaways. Uh, he gets after it when he wants to. Uh, he's not a kid who burns energy just to burn energy. He will stand around out there and glide out there. But when he does need to work, uh, he'll get after it and he'll get up and under sticks. And and then offensively, just you could see it in camp right away. As soon as him and Macklin Celebrini were on the ice, every virtually everybody else on Team Canada struggled against that U Sports team. 
And the only two guys who were out there making plays against the 23, 24, 25 year olds on that U sports team were, were Dume and Celebrini. And with Dume, it's just how quickly he executes. Like it's on his stick and off his stick. The little one touch passes through triangles, all of that stuff is just so refined and ahead of where most defenders are at this level. So I think he's going to make a lot of really quick uh, sort of high level NHL level passes that are going to sort of take people out of their seats, some highlights. Um, and then on the power play, he should do some damage. He should be a big part of that line if they keep him with Celebrini, which I think could be a top line in the tournament. So he's been great everywhere. Even even if you talk to the Columbus guys, like he was their best player. He outplayed Marchenko, who's playing in the NHL right now at, at their in Traverse City at their rookie tournament this year, right? Like he's he just keeps doing it. And I know I know the Blue Jackets are high on him. I knew even going into that draft that they they were prepared to take him sort of around ahead of where, where they got him, but they knew that they would likely still be able to land him kind of thing. So he's, I think he's got a chance to not like lead the tournament in scoring. I think some of the Americans, because that group that the Americans is playing in is softer. I think you're going to see some of those American kids put up some numbers. Um, but on the, on the Canada side, I, I think Dume, I mean, everybody knows Celebrini, but I think Dume is going to be right there with them in terms of talent level and playmaking ability and smarts out there and all of that. So he's he's a kid who I could see sort of grabbing some limelight. Um, and then Luno, honestly, like I know mm-hmm. he's a second round pick. He was a first overall pick into the queue. So like he's been around a while and he shouldn't be a sleeper, if you will. But when people talk about that team, they talk about Drysdale and Mintyukov and Zellweger, and it almost seems like Luno, who had 100 points in the queue last year and is really good two ways, uh, it seems like he's almost forgotten. So, I, I he, again, he looked so – he didn't even play in the two U Sports games, but just in the practices, in battle drills and that kind of thing, the, he, he was getting stops on whoever he wanted to get stops on. And then when he did have the puck, he looked like he could do whatever he wanted against this age group. So – I think Luno is going to play, as I mentioned earlier, like he could play 30 plus minutes when it matters. Uh, and and I think he's going to sort of really, really like he he could be a defense. I don't think they have a forward who's going to be forwarder of the tournament, but I think Luno could surprise some people and kind of be the defenseman of the tournament, even if the, the favorite for that's probably Lane Hudson, just because Lane's going to put up gross numbers offensively. Um but you, yeah, what you mean and, to say, Scott, is that um, we just we've now talked about Lane Hudson and Jordan Dume. Um, yeah. That height might not be a good measure of um, a hockey player's talent, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're special, you're special, and and uh, uh, that group is soft, right? There's Canada, Sweden, and Finland are in one group. So the, mm-hmm. the Slovaks, the Slovaks, and the Czechs are good, and they both have good goaltending. So that those could be lower scoring games, but there are other two games in that group. They're just gonna. Like they're just going to embarrass some teams and Lane's going to, I wrote in a piece that we had out at the athletic or that we have coming out at the athletic on Thursday, like the, the tournament points record for a defenseman is 14. And oh. like, that's gotta be, it's gotta, really? be, it's gotta be within reach for, for is that low. Yeah. 14 and seven. So I, I, I think Lane's Lane's going to chase it for sure. And he's yeah, like, well, he was incredible last year, and yeah. he's only got another year of confidence and you know, like yeah. Hobie Baker, at least like contention ship. And, and him, him and Cutter both played at men's worlds. Mm-hmm. Like this level is Cutter. Cutter's going to dominate this tournament. Like there's there, there's a few guys. Obviously, they've got the full line from last year with Gabe Perot, Ryan Leonard, and oh. Will Smith, and that might be like their third one. Like it's they're they're a good squad. 
So it's the the Americans up front look so deep, and that's yeah. without the injured Rutger McGrory, who is yeah. likely. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he played the full tournament and wore the C. Like yeah. he's he's just that kind of guy. And and I you brought. And I think they're, other... they're they're more hopeful now. Like I the, when I. When I spoke to I spoke to Rutgers dad immediately. Rutgers dad's the GM of the Muskegon Lumberjacks in the USHL, and I spoke to him after the injury, and he said it was better than the worst case scenario. But like it sounded talking to him and talking to guys at Michigan, like it was a almost a zero percent chance that he was going to be healthy enough to play. And he's been skating with them, and apparently I wasn't in Plymouth for their selection camp, but apparently he looked really good. He still hasn't. He's still in a non-contact jersey, but I could see him just playing a little bit banged up and. And still being, as you said, one of their top players, and he is certainly. I mean, if you guys have ever run into him around an event, he is as charismatic and well-spoken as any hockey player. So uh, the the he was obviously the captain of that U18 team. So I, I would expect that he's their captain if he's if he's good to go. One and Mark, really Mas- Mark Masters, our buddy Mark Masters, will love it because mm-hmm. he's a Winnipeg Jets prospect. Ah, well, there you go. Perfect. Um, what like a team that really fascinates me every year, but specifically this year is Sweden mm-hmm. because they just had a very weird tournament last year and specifically that bronze medal game where they just like basically folded. Yeah, <laughs> it was weird. Like what can we, I guess, expect from Sweden this year in a sense, like, like just a bounce back potentially, or, you know, some crazy stuff. Yeah. It feels like it's becoming a sort of tale as old as time where they, we talk about every year how they're the merchants of the gold medal or the bronze medal game and they dominate they group play. And um, this year feels, I know it feels different to them speaking with some people involved with the Swedish ice hockey federation, and even just people with SHL clubs over there for them, some stories that I've got planned for this tournament on some of their guys. They, I know they're talking there in the media and like, this is like a, not a historic team, but a, a, a contender on home ice to win gold, which would be mm-hmm. pretty special for that group. And, um, obviously this is an age group that, that took it to the U S at U 18 worlds, a very talented U S team at U 18 worlds with Jonathan Lecker Mackey being the star of that tournament and Liam Ogren, Noah Ostlin, this decor. Uh, I mean, the defense is, is impressive. Like the, the two Vancouver kids, Pedersen and Wolander are legit two way guys. Axel Sandin Pelica should be right up there with, with sort of the the top offensive defenseman in the tournament. Matthias Havlid and, and uh, Elias Salomonson were both supposed to play in last year's tournament, but had to miss it due to injuries. So they'd technically both be returnees. Salomonson has been unreal for Skeleftia and the SHL this year. Uh, Havlid has is, is been the captain and sort of the, a leader with this age group all the way up. They named their captains today and he's not one of them, but um, it's it's – it's a really, really good blue line. And then up front, they've got an, I think they've got enough with the with Ostland Ogren and Lecker Mackey, who've played together with Jure Gardens for years. Um, with with Bestet, who was great in last year's tournament, the Sharks first rounder. Uh, Oscar Pedersen is a very good the Sens pick is a very good p- player at this level. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's going to be an NHLer, but a very good junior player at this level, and he's 19. Fabian Wagner's a returnee. They've got their top line from U18 Worlds this spring that's going to be reunited with Otto Stenberg and, and David Edstrom and Felix Unger Sorum. They were outstanding at U18 Worlds. Um, so they're 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 dangerous. Um, and and I I I like them. I know everybody always seems to pick them to medal, and they often don't, but it feels this year like they're a legit like gold or silver contender. 
it feels like this is the first time. And that's without that's without Leo Carlson, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was gonna say, and they don't even have like if you look at it, the Americans are missing Cooley, that's their guy. Um Mm -hmm. the Swedes are missing Carlson, that's their guy. Um, And uh, they're missing Calais Odelius on the blue line as well. He would have been a returnee. Yeah. And then uh, Canada's missing the guy. It feels like each team this year is missing one legit star, like somebody that would have been a candidate for MVP of the tournament. And then obviously Mm -hmm. Canada's missing the guy who straight up would have ruined the tournament for everybody. But when you look at the Swedes, it feels like this year for the first time in a long time, they don't have a position that has a weakness. Like you said, that Hugo Havlid in goal, that blue line is arguably the best in the tournament. And then up front, if Oslin, Ogren, and Lekaramaki can rekindle that chemistry that they had, especially in their draft year, like they're going to score a lot. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like that gets under underrated. And like you said, they're bringing that whole line from the U18. So they've got two lines, theoretically, that have a ton of experience, like, chemistry-wise playing together yeah and in a small tournament like this that can be a huge difference maker what have you seen out of the Lekramaki, Ogren, Oslin kind of trio that gives you the confidence that they can run with the big dogs of like the Cutter Goche, Gabe Perot types in, yeah. in the tournament well, Lekkermaki has obviously really turned his career around this year. It had been a tough couple of years for him. He just hadn't been at his best. He dealt with injuries. He got mono. He got COVID. It had just been sort of an up and down sort of couple of years for him. He'd already been sort of cast as a poor skater and a one-dimensional player who doesn't work off the puck. This year in the SHL, he's sort of put it all together. He's skating better. He's more involved in the play. He's never going to be a, a good two-way winger. Like, that's just not who he is. But I think Lekhermaki in particular, from a talent standpoint, from a power play damage standpoint, should should be able to do a lot offensively in this tournament. Uh Ostlin's just a really smooth skating two-way center who should be a, a very competitive player in this tournament in terms of competing with opposing top lines. And then Ogren, I think Ogren's the X factor for that line. Ogren's been injured to almost this entire start of the season. He just got back about less than a month ago, really three weeks ago. Um, just got back healthy. He's only played a few games. It, can he be, I think that's the only, we, we know what we're going to get out of Ostland and, and Lekaramaki, I think at this point, can Ogren be a stud for them? Like, can he be a horse for them? He's wearing the C for them. They named him captain today. Um, that's, that's what I'll be watching out for because I really like him and he's a big, strong kid too. And sometimes those guys who are just a little heavier than other players at this level tend to dominate at the world juniors. I think that's a big reason Cutter Goche is probably my favorite to be the forward of the tournament this year is just because you've run into Cutter around the rink and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a little bit different than these other kids. That's a proper <laughs> Philadelphia flyer, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who can skate and rip it and has skill and all of that, right? So, um, but yeah, Ogren's that. Like, Ogren's a strong kid. He's got a really heavy shot. Like, he's going to freeze some goalies with his shot if he gets it off. But is is he sort of fully healthy? Is his conditioning where it needs to be? Because if he can be a star for them, like a top-end player for them still, then they've got they've got all the pieces. Like, you mentioned those two lines, and that's with – Bestead and and Pedersen, two returnees, probably anchoring a third line for that group, right? So there's 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 legit depth throughout that that Swedish lineup. I have a question before we start sort of winding things down because this and this happens every every year. Who do you think 
like is the world juniors it's a very small sample size mm -hmm. <clears throat> but it's a huge it's it, it gets a ton of coverage it's basically where a lot of like i would say the the mainstream hockey fan if you will they get their introduction to these players of, yeah. uh, or at least like they, this is their sort of annual check-in on these players. Um, who do you think is going to be, be like, I, I don't want to say overrated, but who do you think is going to produce the, the sample size that might lead to too much excess hype maybe after this tournament of any team? Um, not with scouts because we also know that happens and i'm about to ask you about that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean like every year we 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 talk about like you know for you know, like brett howden or something comes out and they put yeah, yeah. an incredible tournament and I, he gets put I could in see, top five i could see Dvorsky doing that uh mm -hmm. for the slovaks this slovak team is even without uh slavkovsky and nemich this is a really strong age group for the slovaks but he, as an 18-year-old, uh, has, has sort of lost a little bit of his cachet this year. He just struggled struggled in the SHL, and then he went over. He's in, in the OHL in Sudbury now, playing on a line that just with, with David Goyette and, and Quentin Musty that just practically toys with <laughs> OHL opposition. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I've, I've texted people in the OHL about it. And they're like, there's nothing we can do about it. So <laughs> I, I routinely – I talk with Zulich's daughter all the time because we're, we're good friends from university. <laughs> She's like, I love just going to games and whenever they go on the ice, it's just I don't have to worry about being scored on because yeah. <laughs> they just always have the puck and nobody can do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah so yeah, I, I could see Dvorsky doing that. Dvorsky has dominated international play and it's always sort of built if, whenever he's mediocre in, in his like domestic league, he always goes seems to go to an international event and people just love to talk about him. People like... Craig Button and the guys on TSN are going to be waxing poetic about face-off detail and how hard he works and how strong he is on pucks. Like he just looks at this level. Dvorsky looks like an NHL player, which is actually oddly enough, uh, I think kind of works against him when he's tried to play up levels because he can kind of be cast as sort of just the well-rounded type, even though I think he actually has a lot of skill. Uh, but this is a kid who like, he outscored Slavkovsky at, at the Helenka Gretzky Cup years ago, like four years ago now. He outscored Slavkovsky at the Helenka Gretzky Cup and Philip Mayshar and those guys as, a, as an underager on that team. He was their best, clearly, clearly, clearly their best player at U18 Worlds this last spring. Like he carried that Slovak team that actually didn't have a lot at that level, but will at this tournament. Um, him and Meshar are going to have some fun together, I think. Uh, that that Slovak, that the top of that Slovak lineup is is high end uh on defense in goal with adam guyon returning uh in net for them uh but Dvorsky, yeah he he always shows out at this tournament and he's a he's a likable player like scouts just enjoy watching him play and he's a two-way guy and he competes and uh he doesn't have a ton of pace and skate i know he's worked hard to build his skating and that but it, it, i could see him having a tournament and being on the a really good tournament being on the media all-star team and getting a lot of buzz and then uh, sort of still maybe not becoming the player in the NHL that I think people uh, hoped that he would be two or three years ago kind of thing. Okay, so that's a great transition into what I wanted to ask you about because we know, and I've sat in scouts rooms and heard this to the point where like I feel like I was growing gray hair where it was like he's having a fantastic season, but he wasn't good at the U18. So yeah. we got to knock him down 10 spots, which is like the most ridiculous thing. How do you, Scott Wheeler, the scout, weigh the performances at tournaments like this versus in-season play? Do you look for anything in these tournaments in particular 
or something like that because I feel like definitely on the team side of it, I have experienced it. They weigh the U18s and the World Juniors so heavily, and I'm just like, man, you pay scouts to scout all season. Why, like, why are you throwing all of that out? So how do you sort of weigh it in your process, whether it's for a draft eligible or for your prospect pool rankings? Um, do you weigh it kind of differently? How much differently? Like, will it supersede the season play kind of thing? I think it can be a good measuring stick for for roles. Uh, these teams do tend, especially the Canadian and American teams, they do tend to kind of look like how an NHL roster is constructed in terms of just where guys slot. So you get a good sense that way. Sometimes these guys are playing in the, the like when you're scouting a kid in the SHL back home, he's not playing. He's playing in a fourth line role. He's playing nine minutes a night, whatever. He's not playing in the role that he needs to be imagined in. Then he comes to a tournament like this. He's slotted differently. He's played to his strengths because the roster just sort of fits around him better. So I think it can be good that way. You get to get a look at, especially the guys who've been playing pro, the, the junior guys, they all get to play power play, and you get to see them in those roles regardless. But the the, the Swedes and even, even some of the makeup with some of the college kids and where they start to slot and how they look in sort of penalty-killing roles and that kind of a thing I think can be interesting. Um other than that, it's it's not a huge barometer for me. Certainly at the high end and at the low end, like if a guy really disappoints, mm -hmm. unless he's injured, I will definitely take note of that. And at the high end, if a guy really impresses, it's something. I, I think it is a notch in the belt. It is something, um, but you got to be you got to be really careful, right? Because the it's it's I would argue the where the most mistakes happen in terms of team's getting a little too excited. I think we saw it with Slavkovsky and his international play relative to his domestic play. I think we saw it with Philip Broberg and what happened, what's ongoing in Edmonton as he sort of struggles to, to find a role for himself. He was tremendous for Sweden internationally in his draft year. I think we saw it with Vasily Podkolzin and how good he was at mm -hmm. three, different, three different international events for Podkolzin in his draft year, right? Uh, and more often than not, I think those guys – they're, they're more often than not sort of overrated rather than underrated. Uh, I do think at the flip, at, on the flip side, there's value to be found in guys who don't play well at the tournament in their, at least in the draft year. So let's say at U18 worlds more than at the world juniors, but I think there's value in looking at Andrew Cristal not clicking last year. And if you're the Washington Capitals, saying, great, if, if people don't want to take Andrew Cristal because he was bad at U18 worlds, then We'll take them, kind That's of thing. Exactly so, what happened. Um, yeah, yeah. So there, there's some of that, uh, but you you just have to be so careful not to get too too excited because then suddenly these guys go back to the SHL and they're back to playing nine minutes a night and they they look a little different, right? So uh, certainly there's guys who are cut above that that you just know coming in are going to be good. Like Axel Sandy and Pelika has scored nine goals in the SHL this year. Yeah, he's different. Like we don't need him. We don't need to see him play well. If, at this tournament to know that he's good. There are other guys who are playing in lesser roles that I'm looking forward to seeing more of. Very cool. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously you're on vacation because you're ready to, to, you know, sort of hop into the world juniors here as you should. Um, it's going to be a blast. Anything, uh, anything you want to plug, you know, you got, you made it through all the wings. You got this camera, this camera, you know, anything you want to plug before we, we had, um, no, not really. We're just going to have a yeah, ton of nothing coverage. of note. We're going to have a ton of coverage. Like I've got, I've done interviews for like nine or 10 stories that I'm excited to, to tell. And I've made a bunch of phone calls. And now I just got to get over there and speak to the kids and 
and write them. And there's there's some really interesting stories in this tournament. So I'm excited to introduce people to some new faces. Uh, and yeah, I, I was hoping selfishly that James Haggins was going to be over there. That would have been nice for me. Oh, me too. So I wanted to see that. That's that's kind of the one bummer. But uh, and I've got a I'm working on a big feature on James Haggins that I was we were planning to run during the World Juniors. So the content took a hit. Uh, but no, oh, no. I, I, there's nothing really to plug. The the pool rankings, I guess, are the next big project for me, right? That'll be out, sort of start rolling out in January. So that's that's a mammoth. And uh, for your Leafs audience, at least, because I know you guys are both uh, Toronto people, it's it's not looking good. Yeah, I mean that's not why. What happened? There, there's <laughs> there's a tease. Predictably, the prospect mm. pool is starting to take a hit. So well, when you have two draft picks per year, uh, that generally happens. We we dealt with this. It's funny that you bring that up because, like in Vancouver, when I was there, they're like, "Why is our prospect pool rated so low?" And I finally had to be like, "Because we've drafted three players in like per year the last like five years, and none of them have been good." Yeah, like, <laughs> that's why. It's one of those things, right? You trade away picks. It's like. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins prospects. Like, of course, they're not very good. They don't have any picks, which quickly before you go, what's going on with Owen Pickering? Yeah, I've I've actually got a story coming on Owen. Uh, I've been working on that for a while. He's another one that I was hoping would be over there just because he's a fascinating story, fascinating kid, really sort of nerdy type of kid, like just not your typical hockey player. I'm a big fan of him. Um but yeah, just just didn't play well. Like he was injured to start the year. Uh, he missed uh, Pittsburgh's development camp. He wasn't in Buffalo for their prospects tournament. Then he went back. He was bad in the A, like really struggled in the AHL last year after a call up at the end of his WHL season. And then just got back and didn't really look like they thought he was going to look and didn't play. Hasn't actually played all that well, even though he's a captain in that league and six foot four and he can really skate. Like he made sense as a guy that they would in theory love to have. Right. I think they were, they expected him in the summertime. If you'd ask them, he was like, he was on the team kind of thing. So him and, and then the play of Jaeger Furcus and camp were kind of the two that I expected to be there. Uh, and then Furcus was just invisible in the two U sports games. And sometimes you got to make tough decisions that way. And he was another smaller winger and about Pickering, like he's, he's six foot four, he can skate. He has played really well. He like part of the reason he was drafted so high in the first round was what we were talking about was the international play. Like he played, he was a stud in his U 18s for, for hockey Canada. Right. So then they've typically gone back to that. Well, I think a big reason that Braden Yeager's on the team over some of the other bubble guys at camp was that Braden Yeager's played well for hockey Canada in the past. Right. So, uh, and that's another Pittsburgh guy. Right. So uh, yeah, Pickering's a weird one. Like he's just not, hasn't been able to put it all together. He's been banged up. He hasn't been able to add weight. Like you, you see him and he, you, I mean, I'm sure you guys have both run into him. Like he's a super lanky. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's as guy. as me. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's, so he's, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to be. Like if he fills out, there's, there's an NHL defenseman there, I think for sure. Um, but some guys like they just, they can't add the weight and then it just doesn't come together for them. So It'll be interesting. I've spoken with his strength coach for this story I'm doing, and it's just, it's hard for him. Like, he just can't seem to change the way that his body looks. Brant Clark's the same way. Like, Brant Clark has, is going to just be looking weird out there. Like, that's just, well, that's just who Brant Clark is. Like, you, He's just going to be looking weird. At, yeah. you, you look at that, guys, like, have issues putting on weight. Like, Marner struggled for the longest time. Johnny Gaudreau is still, like, 160 pounds. Like, they're 
they're small guys, but I remember in in their draft year, like the debate it within scouts, like hockey circles, like all of that, like was Pickering going to be like a top 10 guy? And it was like, okay, but if he isn't able to put on weight, like that's, that's going to be a problem. And it's, it's kind of become one. And so it's, it's kind of interesting to see like a guy like Owen Pickering gets the benefit of the doubt because he's six foot four, but a guy like Lane Hudson isn't six foot four and doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. And I think if you, we're, if you were picking right now, we know which one you would select. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Logan Stankoven has been pretty, pretty good in the AHL this year. Pretty good. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, thanks so much for joining, Scott. This was awesome. Great to chat with you. You're doing great work. We love to read it. Everyone go obviously check him out at The Athletic. And, you know, it's going to be a great tournament. Follow the coverage and uh, also make sure to send him copious amounts of hate dms and replies when he posts your pro your team's prospect pool roundup because obviously he's biased against your team everyone knows that so specifically your favorite team whoever you are yeah your team's the one i don't like absolutely and as you should because the person listening to this is a bad person as well um all right on that note we will uh, bid you farewell scott thanks for joining and uh you know happy holidays back at you guys thanks for having me keep killing it with the pod <laughs>